Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Welcome to today's program. My name is Rick Renner, and I've been waiting for you. And today, you and I are going to return to Jude, verse 3, and see what we can learn from this power-packed epistle that most people just skip right over because they see it as the little bitty book before the book of Revelation. And that's so unfortunate because that little epistle is power-packed. And today we're going to return to verse 3. So I want you to reach for something to write with, get ready to take notes, and remember that we're offering you our brand new series called Earnestly Contending for the Faith, which comes with a study guide. And we're offering you my book, which is called How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy. A lot of what I'm teaching in this series is also in this book. But let's go to Jude verse 3. And while you're turning there, I want to remind you that if you need prayer about anything, reach out to us. We'll pray with you. We really are people of prayer. Denise and I know what it means to need somebody to pray with us. And so when you reach out to us for prayer, we will stand with you in faith. So either call us or write us. But as soon as we hear from you, we're going to really begin to pray with you. But are you ready? Let's go to Jude verse 3 and review. And when we come to Jude verse 3, Jude writes, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And I want to give you the RIV of this verse before we move on. Here's the RIV. Beloved, I call you that because it's the only word I know to express how deeply I love and cherish you. I fully intended to write you about our mutually shared salvation. And I was really eager to write about this exciting subject, ready to engage all my creative abilities to dive deep into all the benefits that our salvation entails. But as I was getting ready to get started, I found myself gripped with a sense of urgency and a deeply felt need to address another subject that came to my attention. Well, what was the subject that came to his attention. Well, Jude had received what we call the second epistle of Peter. And in the second epistle of Peter, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Peter says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be. Peter is speaking futuristically about a current problem and a problem to come. There shall be false teachers among you. And listen to how Peter describes these false teachers, which will emerge particularly in the end of the age, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And unfortunately, in verse 2, he says, many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Verse 3, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingers not and their damnation slumbers not. Now let's pause right there because these particular false teachers are saying God's not going to judge us for what we're doing. They're sleeping 
when judgment is already on the way. And then, beginning in verse 4, Peter begins to give specific examples of judgment. Judgment always comes to those who do wrong. And listen to what he says in verse 4. For if God spared not the angels, the angels that send, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, verse 6, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example to those that after should live ungodly. Well, Jude had just gotten that epistle and he had read those verses. And when he read about this covert invasion of false teachers into the church and how they were thinking they would somehow escape the judgment of God, Jude suddenly felt so alarmed that he wanted to address this subject and build on top of what he had just read in Peter's epistle. So now we return to the RIV where he says, but as I was about to get started, I found myself gripped with a sense of urgency and a deeply felt need to address another subject that came to my attention. Now we know that was the second epistle of Peter, chapter 2. I felt someone needed to come alongside the troops to urge them to hold their head high, to throw their shoulders back in if needed, to look the enemy eyeball to eyeball and to earnestly contend for the faith because it is under assault. God entrusted the faith to us once and for all and expects us to guard it and maintain its integrity in the same form it was delivered to us. God has given us the responsibility to impart it to others in the same form as it was when we received it. Now, that is the RIV of Jude verse 3. But then you come to Jude verse 4, and Jude now begins to really zero in on the problem of these false teachers who are trying to covertly make their way into the church. And listen to what he says in verse 4, reading from the King James Version. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice in this verse, he says, there are certain men crept in unaware. A better translation would be they have clandestinely, almost like a stealth operation, craftily wormed their way right into the middle of our ranks. That really would be a fabulous translation. And it's actually translated from the Greek word peris duo. It's a compound of three words. It's what we call a triple compound. First, you have the word para, which means alongside. The word ice, the word ice means into. It carries the idea of penetration. And the word duno means to enter in and to settle down into a place. But when you compound the three words together, it pictures those who clandestinely enter into a certain place and who settle down there and function right alongside of others, or it, donates, it denotes covert activity. Covert activity. And I'm reading from my notes. Jude is calling to mind what he just read in Peter's epistle where Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 about individuals who also would covertly find their way into the church. But in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1, 
Peter uses the Greek word parisago, which is a little bit different from the word that Jude uses. The word parisago is the word para, means alongside. The word ice means into, carries the idea of penetration, but the word ago means I lead and seems to picture those who have leadership positions inside the church. And it suggests that those in leadership positions were bringing false doctrine into the church. Wow. They were covertly, undercover, introducing to the church false doctrine. That is precisely what it means. And now Jude builds on top of that. And he says, unfortunately, we are now confronted with a certain category of individuals who have clandestinely, almost like a stealth operation, craftily wormed their way right into the middle of our ranks. That really would be a very good translation. Then in the King James Version, verse 4 says, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. When the Bible says who were before of old, the word palai is used here. It means long ago, in past times, in former times, and it means for ages and ages and ages, the Holy Spirit has been prophesying that this would occur in the very end of the age. Nothing takes the Lord by surprise, and if we'll listen to him, he will always tell us what's coming. And now Jude says this should not take us by surprise because we have been warned long ago. In fact, he says they were ordained to this condemnation. The word ordained is a translation of the Greek word pro-grapho. The word pro means before or in advance. The word grapho means I write. When you compound the two words together, it means to foretell or to write in advance, which means God gave us a written notification long ago in the Old Testament scriptures that this was going to happen in the very end of the age. And you're going to find eventually that he's quoting Enoch, who was one of the earliest prophets in the Old Testament. But he says they were ordained or they were written about long ago. They were foretold long ago to this condemnation. And the word condemnation is the Greek word krima. A better translation would be a damning verdict of judgment and condemnation. Again, it's translated from the Greek word krima, a Greek word that depicts a judicial verdict of judgment. Listen careful. A verdict of judgment. And here we are forewarned that God will investigate the activities of those who use spiritual influence incorrectly. And God will judge them Heaven's court will pass a damning verdict upon such individuals that are described in these particular verses. So the judge of the earth is watching all along. He is observing this category of errant leaders. And in the end, heaven's court will issue a final verdict of judgment against them. And then Jude describes them as ungodly men. What does that mean, ungodly men? Well, it's very important that you understand this because if you really understand the word ungodly, it means they didn't begin as ungodly. They became ungodly. In Greek, it is the word sabes, which describes those that are reverent, those that are pious, those that are respectful or God-fearing. That's the word sabes. But if you put an A in front of it, it has a canceling or a reversing effect, and that's what you find in this verse. So they're no longer reverent, respectful, or God-fearing, 
but because now the word sebes is a sebes, it means that which was holy has become unholy. Those who were once reverent have become irreverent. What was once God-fearing has lost its fear of God. It can be translated irreverent or disrespectful and depicts those who have lost their fear of God and whose deeds are unholy, unsacred, impurity, impure, and whose activities are unsanctioned by God. That's really what it means. But we really have a picture here of someone who has veered from their faith. They began as holy. They began as reverent. They began as being respectful and fearful of God. But now due to a new doctrine they have embraced, they've become irreverent. They've lost their fear of God. And in fact, they've so lost their fear of God that the King James Version says in Jude verse 4, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Wow. The word turning the Greek word metatithemy. The word meta carries the idea of a change. The word tithemy means to position. It describes a positional change or they're changing their teaching about the grace of God. And the way they've changed it, this verse says, leads to lasciviousness. Lasciviousness. What in the world is lasciviousness. Well, that's a very big King James translation of the Greek word aselgeia. Now listen to this. The word aselgeia depicts sinful living, sinful living that is especially marked by immoral and indecent sexual activities along with other base instincts. It is the very word used in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 7. And remember, the Jude has just read 2 Peter chapter 2. That's what's moved him to write this. And now he quotes a very word which Peter uses in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, the Greek word aselgeia, translated lasciviousness, which Peter used to describe the principal sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was sexual indulgence and sexual perversion. And it was the principal reason for God's judgment upon those cities. And now, Jude, building on what he has just read from Peter's epistle, says that when you twist and change the grace of God, it opens the door for people to believe anything goes, anything is all right. It even leads to lasciviousness, people living immoral, indecent lives, and thinking that it's okay because of the grace of God. That is how they have twisted the message of grace, according to Jude. And then he goes on and says, into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God. Well, first of all, let's talk about that word Lord, because this is not the word kurios. For example, when you and I say Jesus is Lord, the Greek word would be kurios. That would be a word that every Christian would use to describe Jesus' lordship. But when this says Denying the only Lord God, that's not the word that's used here. This is the Greek word despotes, the same word that Peter used in 2 Peter chapter 2 when he writes that they will deny the Lord, the very same word. Jude is building line on line on top of what he has just read in 2 Peter chapter 2. And the word despotes, translated here Lord God, is the very word you would use to describe the boss or the CEO of an organization. Let me read to you from my notes. 
It was an administrative term that normally referred to one like the chief executive officer or one with authority over others in the executive department directly under his control. It was furthermore a technical term to describe the chief steward of a large household who had authority over all the other servants in the house. Those under such a lord reported to him, received instructions from him, were paid by him, and if the need arose, they were dismissed by him. And by using this word, Jude is describing, listen, by using this word despotes, here translated Lord, Jude is describing those who really have been called by Christ into leadership positions of the church. They relate to Jesus not only as their Savior, but also as the chief executive officer who called them. But in this case, though they are answerable to the Lord, instead they are denying his explicit directions. These are genuinely called ministers who knowingly divert from the authority and instructions of the Lord who is over them. And in fact, Jude adds that they are denying him. The word denying is a translation of the Greek word arneomai, which means they knowingly are denying and knowingly are walking away from. Again, a translation of the Greek word arneomai, which means to knowingly deny, to knowingly disown, to knowingly reject, to knowingly refuse, or knowingly renounce. It refers to one who knowing, knowingly disavows, knowingly forsakes, knowingly walks away from, knowingly washes his hands of another, and depicts something done with one's full consent and understanding of what is being done. And because Jude uses this word arneomai, and Peter also uses it in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, it tells us explicitly that they've had ears to hear what Christ has had to say, but they reject his counsel. Rather than obey, they knowingly choose to go another path. And in this case, they are wrongfully modifying the grace of God, perhaps to meet the whims of listeners or to modify to the spirit of the age. And because our Naomi, this word denying is used at this juncture, it means this category of earing individuals are knowingly rejecting the authority of the Lord and they are knowingly ignoring the warning signals given to them by the Holy Spirit. They're not innocent because the Lord who is over them has spoken to them and has told them to change and they have refused to accept what he has told them. That's really what all of that means. Wow. Now, I want to read to you the RIV of this verse and it is quite amazing. Listen to this. The RIV says, Unfortunately, we're now confronted with a certain category of individuals who have clandestinely, almost like a stealth operation, craftily wormed their way right into the middle of our ranks. Long ago, it was foretold and written in advance that a day would come when such individuals would show up. But in the end, heaven's court will issue a damning verdict of judgment and condemnation on them due to their activities. I'm talking about people who were once reverent and God-fearing, but now they've obviously lost their fear of God. These are individuals who go about altering 
changing and modifying the grace of our God into a teaching that says everything is okay and that leads to sinful living that is especially marked by immoral and indecent sexual activities along with other base instincts. They can't claim ignorance about what they're doing because the Lord God, that is our Lord Jesus Christ, has spoken to them and warned them to get back in line. But in spite of these warnings the Lord has given them, they are knowingly denying and walking away from the authoritative covering of the Lord. That is the RIV of Jude, verse 4. It is a very clear warning that we have to stick with the clear teaching of the Word of God, and if we veer from it, we place ourselves in judgment. But then when you come to verse 5, he adds, I will therefore put you in remembrance that though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having destroyed the people out of the land of Egypt afterwards, destroyed them that believed not. Now, why does he add that? Because there are people who say, well, I'm saved. Now that I'm saved, I'm no longer living with the prospect of divine judgment. I've been removed from all of that. And now Jude says, hey, let me remind you of a few things. And he begins to issue warnings. And he's going to begin with an example about the children of Israel, who though they were saved, they were delivered. Though God intervened on their behalf, they were judged because they did not abide as God told them to abide. Then he's going to give us the example of angels, angels who left their first estate, and God has placed them in everlasting chains under the great day of judgment. He's giving us very important warnings, and this is where we're going to pick up when we come back on Monday. Wow, this has been rich. Thanks for being with me today. It's been such a pleasure to teach you the Word of God this week. And I want to remind you that when you become a partner with our ministry, and a partner is someone who financially gives to help us take this teaching to people around the world, is it on your heart to become a partner and help us take this teaching to people? The moment you become a partner by going online or by giving us a call right now, we're going to send you my book, which is called Life in the Combat Zone, and Denise's book, which is called The Gift of Forgiveness. We always sow these two books into the lives of those who become partners with our ministry. Hey, I'll be back in just a moment to pray for you. But right now, my announcer is going to tell you how you can get all the materials that we're offering you this week. We are definitely living at the end of the age when many events prophesied long ago are coming to pass. One of those prophesied events is apostasy that will emerge in the church at the end of the age. What exactly does the Bible say about it? And what should be our response to these end-time developments? In this crucial series, Earnestly Contending for the Faith, Rick Renner teaches about what the Bible says will occur in the last days and how we are to respond to it. If your desire is to stay on track with God and to stay rooted in His Word, then this is a series you will need to hear again and again so you can get these truths deep into your heart. In this series, Rick covers what it means to earnestly contend for the faith, how God expects us to maintain the purity of the faith, and divine warnings to those who twist the doctrine of grace. This five-part series is available in digital or physical format starting at just $10. And today, we are also offering you Rick's book, How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy, for just $20. In this book, 
you'll discover what you need to be doing to stay anchored to truth, how to discern right and wrong teaching, and how to be spiritually prepared for living victoriously in these last days. Order this series, Earnestly Contending for the Faith, and the book, How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy. Call the number on your screen now or go to renner.org to order. Call or go online now. Friends, this is Rick Renner, and I'm standing inside what's going to be the new studio in our TV studio in Moscow. You have given to make this happen. And right now, as you know, prices in Russia are just skyrocketing because of what's taking place in our part of the world. I want to say thank you to every one of you that have done something sacrificial to help us buy all the materials we need to finish the interior. We need to wrap this up as fast as we can. Proverbs 10:21 says, the lips of the righteous feed many. And I want you to understand that from this spot, we're going to feed people all over the world the Word of God. It's not about a building. We're not interested in buildings. This is an anchor that is pivotal for the proclamation and the distribution of the Word of God to this entire part of the world, and it is so, so needed. And by being a partner with us and being a part of our giving team to wrap this up, every time the signal goes with the Word of God into people's private spaces all over this part of the world, God is going to credit you with part of the reward for what's going to happen because it's your seed, it's your offerings, it's your sacrifices that are helping us to do this. And when people's lives are transformed, it will be credited to your account. And I want to say thank you for everything that you've already done. Thank you for helping us wrap up phase two of this very important project so we can begin to film programs right here and get the teaching of the Bible to people that are famished for it. And I want to say thank you in advance for being a part of our giving team. I want to say thank you for all your comments on social media, your calls, your letters, letting me know what you think about the teaching that I'm doing this week, especially on social media. If you're going to take the time to write it, I'm going to take the time to read it. And I really do read it every morning when I get up. I grab my cup of coffee. I spend my time with the Lord and I begin to read what you've written to me on social media, your response to every day's teaching. Thank you. It means so much to me. Please write. I'll read it. And please remember that this week we're offering you the series called Earnestly Contending for the Faith. And today is the last day that we're offering this particular part of this series on the program. You need to order it now and hear it again and again and again. And it's so good that it comes with a study guide so that you can read everything that's in it while you're hearing it or while you're seeing it. And we're also offering you my book, which is called How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy. The subtitle says Developing Discernment for These Last Days. We're really living in the last days. The foreword is written by my friend John Bevere, and this book is endorsed by more than 30 Christian leaders, and a lot of what I'm teaching this week is in this book. And today is the last day of this week that we're offering it. So please, you can get any of these materials by going online or you can just give us a call right now. And if you give us a call, 
tell us how to pray for you. We want to know how to pray for you. We're waiting for the phone to ring. What a pleasure it is when we can release our faith with you for Jesus to do something wonderful or send us an email and we'll pray as soon as it shows up in our inbox. But I want to pray for you right now. Father, we thank you for the amazing word of God. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us that word and you expect us, Lord, to maintain it in the purest form possible and pass it to others. And Lord, I always quote Ecclesiastes 8, 4, where the word of a king is, there is power, there's power in the word of God. Lord, help us to pass it in the most powerful form as possible to others that it might liberate them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're out of time, but I'll be back on Monday. But until then, remember Ecclesiastes 8, 4, where the word of a king is, there really is power.